0: Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. Welcome to Cavs HQ, presented by Betway. Thank you for joining us on the First Energy Cleveland Cavaliers Radio Network. Now, here are your hosts, Tim Alcorn and Jim Jones from the cavaliers radio production studios in downtown cleveland hi again everybody hope you're having a wonderful labor day weekend as we celebrate the holiday and the first weekend in september and we're glad you've joined us on Cavs hq presented by betway jim jones hopefully your labor day weekend is going well and Boy, I'll tell you what, Jim, uh, you have had some unbelievable guests emerge out of that incredible black book of yours that have joined us in the Legends Chair, and this week uh, we're going to look back on two very special guests uh, that you were able to contact and set up, one being Bobby Dandridge, and of course, uh, he now a Hall of Fame member, and the yes. other... Being Mike Glenn, Uh, this was a terrific interview. Both both of them were very good. So this will be a fun show today to listen back to Bobby D. And, of course, uh, Mike Glenn.
1: Yeah, let's talk about Mike Glenn first. Mike Glenn is an institution in in Atlanta. A tremendous shooter before his time. That corner three, he made it famous because it's a short corner. But he won many games for the Hawks during his uh, playing days. But, Tim, what he's been able to do, is transcend that and become an activist in the community. His ability and his community engagement is uh, unmeasurable. He works with young people all through Atlanta. They have him in all kinds of different uh, community engagement uh, situations and events and exhibitions. He's just a mainstay in Atlanta. He loves Atlanta, and uh, I think our fans are going to enjoy his talk because it comes from the heart and he is sincere. And
0: Bobby D, obviously, as we said, Hall yes, of Famer.
1: Yep. Yeah, Bobby. I talk to Bobby probably twice a month. In fact, since the prominence of the cell phone, <laughs> I talk to him more than I used to. We used to talk once or twice a year, but now we talk two, three times a, a month. And it's usually when he's either going to the golf course, coming home from the golf course, or it's a slow round and uh, he'll pick up the phone and call me. But uh, Bobby, this is something I jokingly teased him about it. I said are they ever gonna put you in the Hall of Fame and he always was graciously humble but a well-deserving participant he could play today yes he could six foot seven uh, could put the ball on the floor could play the point the two the three the swing you know everybody's trying to get that type of player of the day well Bobby uh, Danridge he epitomized that position with his skill set just a tremendous player came from a historical black college uh, situation so another plus for historical black colleges
0: great stuff so again we look forward to hearing those back bobby dandridge and mike glenn two legends in the legends chair this week on Kev's hq presented by betway on the first energy cavaliers radio network Welcome back to Cavs HQ, Tim Elkhorn, along with Jim Jones, and yes, settling into that legend's chair. It's comfortable, he'll enjoy it, and we will enjoy this conversation. You talk about another NBA legend that Jim Jones has lined up in that black book of his, Bobby Dandridge. Boy, what a career this man had in the NBA. 13-year career, 9 with Milwaukee, 4 with Washington, two-time NBA champion, four-time all-star, and a lot more to talk about as we will roll along with Bobby Dandridge. But, Bobby, it's great to have you on the show, and certainly uh, we look forward to talking about your career and uh, some of the things that are happening in the NBA.
2: Well, I appreciate you thinking about me, and it's a privilege to be able to sit sit in a legend's chair.
0: (laughs) <laughs> it's comfortable, isn't it? You're comfortable, right, in the legends chair? I can hold that down and get comfortable in that seat. All right. Now, before I, before I let you get rolling with Jim here, because I know you two will probably have a lot to talk about, I went over some of the things uh, in your remarkable NBA career. What I didn't mention, you were a fourth-round draft pick in 1969 of the Milwaukee Bucks, the number one overall pick that year was Lew L Cinder, who of course became Kareem, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So, Kareem goes number one overall, and you're a fourth-round pick out of a D2 school. <laughs> who found you at Norfolk State?
2: Well, I averaged 32 a game my senior year in college, so somebody, even if they just looked at the D2 stats, would have <laughs> seen it. But, um, you know, going to Milwaukee, and I think I was about the 45th or 46th person picked in the draft that year. And actually, I was the. They drafted another small forward the head of me, a guy named Bob Greason. And uh, yeah. the first, the first day <laughs> in camp, second day in camp, he twisted his ankle. <laughs> and uh the rest was history.
1: He didn't get a chance <laughs> to recover. <laughs> hey Bobby, Stop I remember that. Yeah, Bobby, I remember Greason because uh they tried to build him up and uh then uh everybody that I had talked to was talking about this guy named Bobby Dandridge. And I said, Bobby Dandridge, where's he from? He said, Norfolk State. I said, Oh, okay. Uh because there were guys from Division Two and and uh, black historical colleges and black schools ahead of you. Of course, the great Zelmo Beatty, uh, Dick Barnett, uh, and that's just to name a few. Yeah. But uh, but out of all of those guys, I've always thought that you, you and Earl, take your pick depending on what style of play you like, you and Earl Monroe were the best I've ever seen.
2: Yeah. Well, we got to remember Sam Jones came from That's a historically right. black school yes,
1: willis reed
2: right. did also yep. so at least every year there were at least two guys from historically black schools that were making it in the league and i must say that i was fortunate when i went to milwaukee number one they were in they had uh, they were only the second year in existence the year before, they were expansion team, and uh, I was fortunate that a guy like Larry Costello was coaching um, because he saw um, that I was a fundamentally sound guy, and one of the big things that I had going for me when I went to Milwaukee was I knew how to feed the post. I knew how to <laughs> throw the ball to whatever hand Kareem was holding up. I could throw a bounce pass. And so, uh, you know, it was just the basic fundamentals that Larry Costello saw in me that allowed me to stay in Milwaukee.
1: But, you know, Bobby, you know, you said something there that that, that just brought a light on in my old mind. We were When I was with the Lakers... The only people that could throw Kareem the right kind of pass was me or Magic. And uh, uh-huh. so anytime anytime we want to throw it in, people take it for granted that, oh, he's so big, you just throw it in. No, it isn't. You have to remember, he, he wasn't very strong uh, physically, but uh, he was strong enough to play and dominate. But uh, as far as holding position, if you had to make him move off that spot, you really took a lot of his advantage away if it wasn't the right kind of pass. I remember that because I remember Coach McKinney, and I think you might have had Coach McKinney for me. I did. I did. Yeah, Yeah, and he used to tell me, he said, I wish I had more guys that knew how to get Kareem the ball besides you and Magic. And I looked at him, and then I thought about it. I said, you know what? That is an art in itself and a fundamental. Oh, yeah.
0: Bobby, I want to ask you real quick. You're coming in as a fourth-round draft pick out of a D2 school. I'm sure there was some nerves, some anxiety. But at what point did you realize, "Hey, I can play with these guys. I can play in the NBA." At what point do you remember that the off factor may have worn off a little bit?
2: Well, I think the, the uh, probably the second day in camp. Uh, you know, when the veterans tend to gravitate towards you and tend to start giving you little clues. And uh, my big thing was that during my summers at Norfolk State, I would always go through D.C., Philadelphia, and Atlantic City and play basketball. And at that time, I would play against the guys that were in the pros. So by the time – I went to Milwaukee, I knew that um, that the pros weren't, you know, I just was not in awe of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, in fact, I'd even go to say that probably in that year's draft, there must have been about nine other, other forward, small forwards that were drafted ahead of me. And my career ended up being longer and more distinguished than any of those other nine or ten. Um, so when I went to Milwaukee, I, I had a lot of confidence in my game. And uh, the I could play defense, I could shoot, and I could just play all phases of the game. And uh, about my second day in camp, a guy named Guy Rogers. Um, took a liking to me, and Guy Rogers was just a tremendous passer. And and I could make him look good because I can get out on the fast break and uh, I could get open and get shots. And I think that when you go to a training camp, it doesn't take the veterans long to identify that you can play and that happened to me probably at least my second day in uh, rookie camp. Wow. So uh, by the time, I think rookie camp was in June. And the funny story was that on the third, by the third or fourth day of rookie camp, they were going to put up a list of guys that they were going to invite back to veteran camp. And, you know, all the rookies, we were afraid and I went into practice that morning, and the trainer guy, Arnie Darber. uh, he had a big old bag off to the side. And so uh, he said, well, how are you feeling about making the lift today? I said, well, we won't know for another two hours, will we? <laughs> and so he said, well, look, I'm going to let you off the hook, and here's your bag to take home full of uh, practice gear and an NBA basketball. And so, you, you know, it didn't take me long to sort of make an impression on everybody with the Bucks organization. So being a fourth round draft choice coming from a D2 school, uh, you know, I, I really wasn't in awe of my playing skills. I just, Was fortunate that Milwaukee did not have a bunch of no-cut contracts. Oh, uh, good point. You know, in fact, I started from day one, started the first game, which was televised, and it wasn't televised because of me. It was televised because everybody wanted. See Lou Alcindor play his first game. <laughs> yeah, you
0: you weren't the marquee attraction there. There's no doubt. Oh, no. No, no, no offense, Bob. No offense. But... Oh, no, oh, no. Hey, look.
2: Like you said, I was just glad to be on the squad.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Tell you what, we got to take a
0: quick time out. And when we come back, we're going to hear some more great stories. Bobby Dandridge, boy, an NBA legend, has settled comfortably, no doubt, into that legend's chair on Cavs HQ. Welcome back to Cavs HQ. Boy, we're having a great conversation with NBA legend Bobby Dandridge. Now, I'm going to throw a trivia question out there for our Cavs listeners. The answer is going to be obvious because of our guest, but I never would have known this, and I'm going to win a beverage on this sometime. Who holds the NBA record for most points in the NBA finals in the 1970s? Bobby Dandridge. You know, I have to admit, I didn't know that off the top of my head, Bobby. I did a little research. You think about the great... You Well, that's what the NBA.com said. So you hold the record for the most points in the NBA finals in the decade of the 70s. Wow. You averaged in the finals 23 points a game with Milwaukee. And then, of course, uh, you won it with Washington as well with Elvin Hayes and... Wes Unseld in that group. So we've been talking a lot about your Milwaukee days. Uh, Boy, some quick thoughts on playing with Washington and winning that NBA title with the then Bullets.
2: You know, that was the the first year of free agency in the league, and uh, Washington was one of the teams that I wanted to play with. Uh, because one, it was only about a hundred miles from Richmond, Virginia, where I grew up, but it also gave me the opportunity to maybe compete for another championship again, to play with um, with Wes Unseld and Elvin Hayes, and uh, the the bullets had always been contenders in the East, but they knew they couldn't win the championship without getting past uh, Philadelphia, who had Julius Irvin, McGinnis, and that crew. And I had historically played well against Julius. So so they felt comfortable in bringing me to Washington. And, and, and Washington – gave me an opportunity to practice all the leadership skills that I had seen uh, Kareem and Oscar put on display, knowing when to score, knowing how to motivate a team, knowing how to be a team leader. And I th- at some point, every NBA player who's, worth his brain assault, wants to have a team that they can call their own, where, you know, they are the leader, they are to, they are the go-to person, and uh, when I went to Washington, I just thought I was going there to fit in and to just contribute, but once I got there, I found out there were bigger expectations of me, and Fortunate, I got a chance to lead a team uh, with the bullets to be the go-to guy and to be the leader, and uh, that's a feeling I think that every player wants to feel. You know, when he when before he leaves the league, and Washington gave me the opportunity to put on display. My not only basketball skills but leadership skills. So I'm forever grateful. Washington allowed me to come out of the shadows um, because Milwaukee is a great city, but it wasn't uh, the playing in the in, in the Midwest was not like being on display. On the East Coast, against the Celtics, the Knicks, the Seventy Sixers, and that time the Hawks. So uh, Washington is uh, is uh, gave me an opportunity to be Bob Dand to be a leader and to put on display all of my skills. So I'm forever, you know, grateful to Washington for giving me that
1: opportunity. Well, Bob, one thing I do want to you know I like to ingratiate you guys and. And you and I have been friends since I was a senior in high school. Uh, I just want to say how much I appreciate your friendship, uh, your direction, and your style of play on and off the court, the way that you act, the way that you're always accessible. All of those fundamental things that sometimes we as former athletes take for granted are what makes up a person's character. And like Wayne Embry used to say, you know, character wins championships. Well, it also wins friends. And uh, we just appreciate you coming and talking to us today, giving us some insight as to your greatness. Now, I've got one wish, and that wish is that within the next year or two, that they make you a Hall of Famer. Tim called me earlier, and he looked at your numbers, and I told him, <laughs> oh, I, I, said, I said, look it, I looked at those numbers long, t- I told him, I looked at those numbers long time ago, and Bobby Ooh. Dandridge and Bobby Dandridge there's no reason why he's not in the Hall of Fame but I want to tell you this when you make it you better send me an invitation because I will of be course. there of course of course wow well Bob... and,
2: and Tim and Tim you going to get one too oh well there you go <laughs>
0: oh yeah all right well Bobby, this has been awesome. We really appreciate it and uh, hear your stories and your recollections. Uh, it's awesome. I was a big fan of yours when you played and I'm a bigger fan now that we've had this conversation.
2: I really appreciate that and I wish y'all the best with your show and I know can't, can't know everybody sitting in that chair told. <laughs> that's
0: right. <laughs> All right, that's Bobby Dandridge again. The numbers Thank are just you, Bobby. spectacular. 13 years in the NBA, two-time NBA champ, four-time All-Star. What a career. We'll have more on Cavs HQ right after this. This past July, the Cavs and Lexus teamed up to bring the 2021 Dunks for Dollars program to life. Every dunk this past season earned a $50 donation from Lexus. With 341 total dunks this past season, the Cavs scored over $17,000 for the Cavalier Community Foundation, which supports charitable organizations in Northeast Ohio. Cavs in the Community is brought to you by Discount Drug Mart. We'll be right back with more Cavs HQ presented by Betway on the First Energy Cavaliers radio network. Oh, good stuff on the other side of the window as we welcome you back to Cavs HQ. Tim Elkhorn along with Jim Jones. And on the other side of that window, Marty Allen dialing up some great music for this edition of Cavs HQ. Marty joined by, of course, Leo Simone and Kurt McLaughlin. Great to have you with us. This week for Cavs HQ, Jim Jones, once again, that black book of yours has produced a great guest to settle into the legend's chair. So I'll let you do a quick introduction.
1: This gentleman was classically way ahead of his time, Tim, in shooting three-pointers. Mike... I'm trying to remember. Have I ever seen you miss an open shot? I don't remember. I don't think I've ever seen you miss an open shot. <laughs> you, you're uh, too uh, kind,
3: Jim. Thank you uh, very much. Yeah, that Glenn. you Glenn. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but I, I feast off those open shots. I take as many of them as I can get.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and so, faithful, our fans, this is the great Mike Glenn, affectionately called Stinger.
0: We got to start there. So, Mike, Stinger, Glenn, and... For uh, Cavs fans and basketball fans, uh, the origination of the nickname. Where did Stinger come from, Mike?
3: Okay, thank you very much. Well, I was in the Knicks camp. Uh, Willis Reed was head coach that year. We're talking 78, 79, a few few moons ago. But anyway, uh, Willis had invited this guy named Pop Green from Southern University, and he earned his nickname. You know, in professional sports, you always got to earn your nickname. You can't just be given something that you don't earn. He earned the name Pop. He could pop the Nets. And he saw me shooting before and after practice. He said, my goodness, this guy's just stinging the nets, man. Every time he shoots, it just stings the nets. Man, I'm going to start calling you stinger, you know. And I just thought, "All oh, right, right, right. right. But it caught on so quickly before I knew it. Earl Monroe was calling me Stinger, Jim Clemens, who, of course, played with Jim Jones on those great teams that they had. And then one game, I was on the bench and ready to go in the game, and Red Hoseley, the legendary coach of the Knicks, said, Stinger, come on (laughs) in. From then on, it was official. And now Jim and Tim, uh, even when I was at Merrill Lynch, I'd call some former players about investing money, and I'd say, hello, this is Mike Glenn. And they said, who? Who? Oh, it's the Stinger? How did you say you were the Stinger? <laughs> so it became so official, like those guys whose nickname is bigger than their real name, you know, like Magic and those kind of guys. So that's how I got the nickname Stinger, and it just stuck unexpectedly from that training camp with the Knicks in the 78 season.
0: Now I have to tell you, Mike a Stinger, that uh, during these Cavs yeah. HQ shows, I have learned that Jim Jones's nickname was Crusher. Crusher Whoa. Jones. Yeah, that was L.A.
3: I, that was a new one. Was LA. I didn't get that.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, well, well it, it was pretty simple because if you understand Kareem, he always needed a, a bruiser or a power forward next to him. You remember Cornell Warner? And yep. uh, some of the other guys that you know, and and most of the times that's the way you do it, so your center doesn't take the beating. Mike, of course, we're talking old school, and uh, right. and so, and so they used to call me the Crusher because I had to guard <laughs> Moses doggone it. I guarded Ooh. Moses. Ooh. I, I know, man, because you know Kareem couldn't guard him. You know, we needed him to <laughs> that's score.
3: Right.
1: You know, so I had to guard all those guys, and uh, the name just came about. It was sort of a motivating factor too. Because everybody, because Magic would look at me and he'd make this big C and he said, Crusher, come on in the game, man. We need you. <laughs> so, the, that, so, it just, so it just stayed. So, see, so you it had to stayed. earn that
3: too, didn't you, Jim?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, I did. Oh, Tim, you got me on that one. <laughs> Go ahead, Tim.
0: Yeah. Well, Mike, you had a terrific NBA career 10 years. Uh, you mentioned the time with the Knicks and, of course, uh, a year with Buffalo. Uh, probably best known for your time in Atlanta, four years with the Hawks and then two with the Bucks. And as you mentioned, you kind of parlayed that uh, into a very successful post-playing career, both on the financial side, and now you're involved with the broadcasting end of the Hawks, correct?
3: Yes, sir. I've been doing broadcasting now for this in my 26th year. Many of those years, I was the ambulance, and uh, now I'm mostly the ambulance on the pregame, halftime, and postgame show. But... Uh, broadcasting has kept me close to the game and run across guys like Jim that I always I really enjoy meeting and seeing again some old friends and foes. So that's kind of what uh, my life has been like over the last 26 years, and it's a, it's been a pleasure staying affiliated in that way.
1: Stinger, you're way too modest. I was going over this bio you sent me last night, and I had no idea. Listen. You have accomplished more after basketball. You know, you were a successful broker. I did some brokerage work, too, for Merrill Lynch and Prue Bates. So I understand uh, how uh, poignant that job is Boy, the pressure. But what's been a motivating factor for you? Was it your home life? Was it growing up? Give our fans, especially our young fans, You know, I know you're a great motivational speaker, but can you just give us some basics on what motivated Mike Glenn to be so successful during his career and after? Jim, thank you very
3: much for those kind words. Yes, indeed, man. I was just so blessed to have some phenomenal parents. My mom. Was an elementary school teacher, and I was uh, actually in her class in the third, fourth, and fifth grade. So oh, I had man. teaching at home and at school, <laughs> and it was always at home throughout my life. And my dad also was a teacher. He had majored in mathematics, and uh, he coached at Georgia School for the Deaf. He, he coached basketball gym for high school girls and boys. And uh, he also was a mathematics teacher, and that, of course, was my major into mathematics and my entree into that world. But, Jim, how I got into basketball, he was coaching his girls and boys, high school, and I went to the gym with him, mom, and let me go to practice with him at about seven years old, and I was just walking across on the gym floor. And all the girls, these are high school deaf girls, they ran up to me. I'm this little kid. And they picked me up and started kissing me on the child, Jim. (laughs) 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 And you know, you don't know how to appreciate those kisses at that age like you can later on in your life. So I started yelling, Dad, help me. These girls are (laughs) packing me out here. And he explained to me then, Jim, he said, Tim, he said, You're going to have to learn sign language. These girls are deaf. He says that means they can't hear or talk to you, but they want to be your friend, Mike. If you want to be their friend, you're going to have to learn some sign language. And I decided right then at seven years okay, Dad, I'll learn sign language. And it was those girls on his team that just embraced me and started teaching me my ABCs and basic signs and dribbling and shooting and clapping for me and encouraging me. And, uh... That was my entree into basketball and basketball camps for deaf kids and also uh just becoming a basketball player and wanting to be a great player like the players, uh deaf players that my dad coached at Georgia School for the Deaf over you know, over twenty five years. And I made note too, Jim, that in those segregated south down there you can imagine. Uh, that there was no payment for dad's services. Every year that's at right. the end of the year, the principal, Mr. Perdue, would say, Coach Glenn, you did a good job. Shake his hand. And that was all the pay what? that he received oh, for 20 years God. of coaching. But that's, and I just grew up in that environment that I was able to go and participate. But it wasn't about money, it was about love of the game, love of culture, love of the people that really promoted me i think in mathematics as well as in other things i've done in life thank you very much wow
0: what an awesome story we got to squeeze in a quick timeout, but we're going to continue with mike stinger glenn he has settled very comfortably into the legends chair on Cavs hq we're coming right back on the first energy cavaliers radio network Great to have you with us, and we are really thrilled to have sitting in the Legends chair, Mike Stinger-Glenn, of course a 10-year NBA veteran, and as we talked during the first segment, has done remarkable work following his NBA career, and uh, Mike, I want to circle back to your work with the deaf uh, and running basketball camps. Uh, That is just unbelievable. It's extraordinary to me. And tell our listeners more about that and and how communication works with youngsters who can't hear learning the game of basketball, where communication is such a key. I, I find it fascinating.
3: Tim, thank you very much, man. It's something very, very dear to my heart. I would come back to the deaf school in the Falls and tell them about going to camp, and I would ask them did they go to a basketball camp, and they said, no, we're deaf. We we can't communicate. There's no camp for deaf kids. So it's something I had in the back of my mind since high school, and as a member of the Knicks, The PR director, Kevin Kennedy, came to me and said, Mike, uh, they want you to go to this deaf tournament that they're having out on Long Island where the schools in the area are playing, and I know about your background. Would you like to go? I said, absolutely. And I went there and introduced myself in sign language, and the fans automatically said, oh, one of the Knicks is deaf. Look at him. He's using sign language. He's deaf. One of the Knicks is deaf. So, of course, I explained about my dad and my background, And I explained to them that one day I had a goal of starting a basketball camp where deaf kids could participate wow. and this wow. was in 1980 and they said why don't you have your camp right here I say okay let's do it and I started the nation's first major summer basketball camp we had about 30 kids from New York New Jersey area that summer and it just grew I mean pro athletes would come and donate their time and the deaf kids would love it they could take pictures and they were so proud that somebody was recognizing them I say we were deaf when deaf wasn't cool because then there were no interpreters that you see at political things or anywhere else. You were just deaf and ostracized. And it was a chance for me to share my world with them the way they had with me. And each summer, it just continued. They continued to grow. And, and I looked up, Ned, it's been 40 years that I have been doing this camp. And some deaf kids, deaf players, and their kids have come through. And we get kids from all across. The nation that wow. come every summer, and it means so much to these deaf kids that have nowhere else to go. They love the game as much as anyone, and it has just been a joy of my life. So, so it's all done in sign language where they anticipate, they hear, they look for screens, and they, they don't need to yell. And much of sports is sign language. Look at the third-base coaches. Look at, look at everybody, yeah. how, how much uh, sign language is used in sports. So it's kind of natural for them. They don't have a problem with it. And I'll just mention my most successful camper, a kid named Willie Brown, went on to play major college basketball at Hofstra for two years and his last two years at Georgia State. He had a little try with the pros and the CBA. Now he's a successful referee in the state of Georgia. He does some of the wow. state tournament. I'm so proud of wow. him. Wow. And those coaches told me, Mike, I just want the guy to call me a good game. He don't have to communicate <laughs> with <it>. Call <laughs> me a good game. And that's what Willie does. And so I'm very proud wow. of him and the camp and how many kids, thousands, have come through my camp over those
1: 40 years. Thank you.
0: Oh, it's extraordinary. Jim?
1: I'm looking at this bio, Mike. I don't know where to begin, but this is a two-part question. You won the Walter P. Kennedy Citizens Award, which is a very prestigious award through the NBA Players Association, for a movie called The Spirit of Love, where you were an actor in the movie. It was the Mike Glenn story, am I right? Yes, sir. You are correct, Thanks,
3: Jim. Can we, can <laughs> yes, I mean, and it bit? just went over real well. Of course, I could play myself very successfully there in the movie, but we showed <laughs> so much of the things of the camp and We won awards for it and had fun doing it. It's a lot of work doing a movie, I might add, but uh, (laughs) yes, indeed. So it was fun doing that movie of of myself and principally about the camp, and I was very honored to receive the NBA Citizenship Award and the Players Association Spirit of Love Award, which that was the name of the movie. We named it after that award, The Spirit of Love, The Mike Glenn Story, yes.
0: Oh, it's great. Again, we're talking with Mike Stinger-Glenn as he sits in the Legends Chair on Cavs HQ. And, Mike, one more aspect of your uh, uh, off-the-court post-basketball career. Uh, I love history. I love reading about history and uh, Mm -hmm. in reading about you. I know you are an absolute expert, per se, uh, in African-American history here in the United Mm -hmm. States. Uh, Artifacts and books and so forth. Mm What drove that interest, and how do you now accumulate these artifacts and books and the like?
3: Thanks again, Tim. Well, I sure enjoyed talking with you guys. Thank you all so much. Let me say that first, That's a, <laughs> that I am enjoying you very much. But, yes, my mom had majored in, in history and social studies, and my sister taught uh, history at, at, at almost every, every HBCU in the southeast and Clark, Morehouse, Marsh Bound, Grambling, all those different schools. Alcorn and, State. Uh, Don't forget Alcorn State. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. It's that's quite my- Alcorn. That's, I'm surprised she didn't teach at Alcorn. <laughs> 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 but that's one of the few that he didn't. But Tuskegee also and, and all the ones here in Atlanta, of course. But uh, – and I started reading and accumulating. I'd always read and accumulated books, but I first found out about first edition books like in 97. I said, what? Oh, I got to start getting those. And I started accumulating slave narratives from Frederick Douglass and books about Harriet Tubman and Sojourner of Truth. And the wow. el- collection started to grow. And I met Charles Bloxon, who is over oh, the Bloxon collection at Temple yes. University in Philadelphia. And he's been a mentor and a friend and has always encouraged me. Keep Collected, Mike. Every time I go to Philly, I'll meet with Mr. Blocks, and that's how he would leave our conversation. Keep collecting, Mike. Keep collecting. And before I knew it, Jim and Tim, I owned thousands of first edition rare books. And I said, I've got to do something with this knowledge and these books to let them inspire people like they were meant to do. And so that's what I started doing, having book exhibits across the country and I added newspapers and magazines and primary source materials and they could see a newspaper from first from the Emancipation Proclamation that was on January the newspaper was from January second, eighteen sixty three, and of course Lincoln signed that on January first, eighteen sixty three. And having that actual newspaper impacted people this was from that date? Whoa! Yeah. And then what did he say? And it inspired so many people to know the true story of history and learn from the true story because so much is distorted and told and hid. So I wanted to help truth to rise up like Dr. King would say, truth crushed the earth will rise again. So uh, I've collected, I've had exhibits across the country. I've done over 35 exhibits in many states, all the way as far as California and New Mexico and New York and many in the state of Georgia, Indiana, Illinois. And uh, I enjoy sharing that information, and everybody loves it. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're black, white, young, old, male, female, religions. Everybody loves the history. And I do, Oh, yeah, I do one on sports, too.
1: <laughs> and, so, and
3: everybody loves that, learning about Jackie Robinson and Joe Lewis, Wilma Rudolph, Molano, the first great athlete in American history who fought for a world title on December 18th, 1810. I have the London Times newspaper from the day after the fight. Uh, so oh these God. things wow. are just so fascinating to people to see the pictures, the images, the, the documents, uh, that they love them. And I continue to enjoy sharing those things and uh, educating people.
0: When Jim and I get back on the road, can we stop by the house and see all this?
3: <laughs> Absolutely. I, I would love to. taking over my house, guys. Man. I have to Push books aside so I can get into bed. <laughs> but, yes, I'd love to have you guys here. Oh, I would
0: love to see that. Wow, that's just fascinating. Well, Mike, this has been an unbelievable conversation. Uh, I have enjoyed it immensely. And, Jim, again, a great big thank you to you for uh, lining up Mike Glenn. This was just extraordinary. Thank you, sir, for coming on.
3: My pleasure. I enjoy you guys. And, Jim, always a pleasure. I've always looked up to you, man. I want you to know that. I have to tell these guys, you have to share with people the gratitude that you have for what they've contributed. And I just want Jim to know that. I always looked up to him and still do. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. We appreciate it.
1: Mike, I'll call you later. Call you later. Thank you very much. God bless. Good day, guys.
0: Mike Stinger, Glenn. Boy, what an extraordinary story. We've got more coming up on Cavs HQ after this on the First Energy Cavaliers radio network. Boy, terrific show this week on a holiday weekend. Those were two fantastic interviews. Good to hear those back. Bobby Dandridge, and again, congratulations to Bobby on his induction into the Basketball Hall of Fame. And Mike Glenn, boy, that was a fascinating chat with Mike Lent So Jim Jones, again, a great big thank you to you for lining both of those guys up uh, a few months back, and it was good to hear them back again on this Labor Day weekend. So that's going to do it for this week's edition of Cavs HQ. Of course, many people to thank. On the other side of the window, Leo Simone, along with the dynamic duo of Marty Allen and Kurt McLaughlin, a great big thank you to Jim Jones. Again, that legend's chair is always filled courtesy of Jim's famous black book, And the biggest thanks goes to you, the listeners. We hope you enjoyed it. Again, have a safe and healthy remainder of the Labor Day weekend. We'll talk to you again next week on Cavs HQ, presented by Betway on the First Energy Cavaliers Radio Network.